This show is a proud member of the 143 Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. Paul and Michael occasionally save the world. Paul and Michael occasionally save the world. Paul and Michael occasionally save the world. Occasionally. Alright everybody, it's time to say welcome back. But for some of you, this could be the first time you're listening to us because this is something new, this is something a little bit different. This is the first time that Paul and Michael are occasionally saving the world, but we're releasing it on our own. We've talked about this, we've thought about this, we've been talking about this for a long time. And to some extent we knew why we wanted to do it. To some extent I don't think we really knew why, but we just felt like something was... Something was missing a little bit. Maybe we needed a new challenge. Maybe we needed it to be our own challenge. Uh, I mean, ultimately, when it comes down to it, uh, working with Nerdy Legion has been great. Uh, we've gotten an exposure that we wouldn't get. Uh, you know, I, of course, have been with Nerdy Legion since the beginning. Martin and I started the first podcast that was the seed of the Nerdy Legion network. Uh, and that was the Valiant Central podcast. That's that's how you and I met Sparky. That's how oh, yeah. Martin and I met most of any everybody was from them listening to our podcast. And that podcast was grown uh, mostly by by Martin's ambition and ingenuity into something much much bigger. And we've been a part of that. We've grown into a part of that. But something just was uh, was was not quite right. Something was just missing with all of it. And all this time, I felt like I wanted to get to where we were doing this and just releasing it on our own. And I didn't quite know why. But today I've been thinking about it a lot because we decided we were going to record our first episode of the new podcast and that we were going to... You actually set everything up today, as a matter of fact. So today I had a day off and uh, we we got a, a new stove delivered today, which is fantastic. I'll get into that more later. I uh, went out and had a day with my family doing some stuff. I'll probably touch on that a little bit later, too. Uh, but you're texting me while I'm out doing stuff, and you got everything set up to start releasing this. Yep. Now, of course, for, for years now, Martin has made it so easy for everybody to release their podcast, which is fantastic. I mean, it's just, it's, the stuff that he's done has been great. It's really amazing what he's accomplished by, just by sheer willpower and just work ethic, what he built. It's mind-boggling. And, you know, in one of the other examples of Martin's ingenuity and willpower and all that is the Valiant database, which really is how you and I met yep. was because of the database, which drew in a bunch of guys that were big Valiant fans that were using it. And then Martin made a Slack channel for those people. And we all started talking and you guys were listening to the podcast and blah, 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 blah. And it went from there. And it just, it's really dumbfounding how things work, how life works, how things flow. But what I realized was missing is over time, the Valiant Central podcast, it faded. Eventually, the company changed a bit. Martin and I lost our fervor for Valiant Comics. Uh, I, I've mostly stopped reading them, although I am actually getting my interest piqued by some of this newer stuff coming out that I haven't read yet, though. Yeah. We'll probably touch on that a little bit later, too. But it, it just like once it was, once it was broken, it was broken. Once, you know, the the negativity was starting to outgrow the positivity just in general with the people we knew in Valiant fans. It was getting frustrating to do it to do a podcast that was driven on enthusiasm. And then when DMG bought him out, fired Dinesh, Warren left, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, the heart was kind of taken out of the podcast. So we decided to stop. 
And that left me kind of without a podcast home. I was trying to find a place that I could be who I had been, do something that would be purposeful for me. And the main purpose for us doing this is to enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. for uh, for me to express myself to some extent. Because one of the biggest things about me and whatever I do, and this is a big part of me being a Valiant fan at the time and me making a damn podcast at the time, is being passionate about what I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I don't tend to just dabble in anything. If I get into something, I'm going to be passionate about it. I have to be able to share it passionately. So when that podcast ended... You and I kind of fumbled into starting doing this podcast because we wanted to kind of do something else. I didn't have a home. I was trying to find a home somewhere to do something regularly, and I I wasn't really finding one. I had helped initiate a bunch of different podcasts on the network in one way or another, but they weren't my home. They weren't my place. And you you tried to do the you tried to rejuvenate the comics in black and white with a, like a solo. Yeah, I tried effort. doing something on my own. That just that, that's that's not my style. That, that's that's as much of an effort as uh, when I was trying to write articles for Martin's Valiant Central that spawned into the podcast, and eventually the the website with articles went away. Pretty much, uh, it just it wasn't me. Like it was something to do, something to try, but it didn't really work out. I do better talking to somebody because I need uh, that kind of back and forth. And when Martin and I did the Valiant Central podcast, uh, we, you know, we were talking about comics, Valiant comics, but we were able to be passionate. And we were able to play devil's advocate with each other and grow that passion. And sometimes we were able to be outlandish. And sometimes I would represent thoughts that I didn't agree with to illustrate a point. Um, one of my most memorable episodes was when I just went on a massive rant. Because that's what I was getting sick of hearing from everybody. And I wanted them to hear themselves. I remember, and I was I remember just that episode. Les- <laughs> I was lascivious on that episode. I went apeshit on that episode. Because I was tired of hearing it from everybody else. They weren't hearing themselves. They were all being ridiculous. I wanted them to hear it. So anyways, we, you know, we get into doing this and, um, I started, uh, doing the, the Shell Shock podcast with Joey some, doing the, the Ninja Turtle one. And, um, you know, that, uh, is still tentatively going. He and I are talking about kind of future of, of uh, what we want to do too. Um, but I realized what was missing, like you and I, we're doing essentially what I wanted to do. We're talking about what we want to share and we're being more positive about things. But what was missing is in the position that, that we were in, uh, in the position that I was in with how things had changed, um, I wasn't being able to be passionate about what I talked about in the way that I wanted to because we were fitting into a bigger picture of the network as a whole, I suppose. And, you know, there's a lot of different podcasts talking about a lot of different stuff, but I don't want to be a comic book expert. I don't want to be an expert on a specific thing. I don't want to thoroughly analyze a certain thing. I don't, I don't want to do any of that. That's never been what you and I have aimed to do. What I want to do is I want to be able to talk passionately about what I feel, what I'm experiencing and share my heart with whoever is listening because it might mean something to them. And I'm dumbfounded by how many people we impacted doing the Valiant Central podcast when we're talking about Valiant freaking comics, you know? Yeah. The the friends that we've made and what we've grown wasn't because we were doing content that mattered to people. It's because 
we were pouring ourselves into it in a different way. And being one podcast on a network of a lot of differing ideas. There's one episode that, that you and I did of this podcast where we talked about social media a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is we're sharing our experiences and kind of how we're trying to sort through our own lives. Yep. And one of the responses that we got, which, I mean, it wasn't a bad response by any means, but it was, you know, that a certain listener enjoyed the, the podcast and, you know, agreed with some of it, but disagreed with, with, with some of it. And, um, you know, my thought was, what are you disagreeing with? I'm, I'm sharing my experience. You're sharing your experience. We're sharing how we're trying to approach those things. Yeah. There's nothing to disagree with. We're, we're sharing what we're feeling. It's how we're dealing with things, how we're personally having to deal with it. Cause everybody's situation is completely different. Yours and you and I approach things differently. We try to, we have a similar outlook for the most part on lots of things, but I mean, our day to day lives varies a lot and everybody listening, their own lives is hugely different than what I experience on a day to day basis. So yeah, when we talk about what works for us or what we're trying to do, it's just, just our ideas. And we might be wrong when we are saying we're going to try this or we're doing this and it might backfire and we might end up you know, succeeding and we'll share that, but to, everybody doesn't live in a, a little, uh, amber prism where everything's going to be exactly the same. Exactly. And you don't, you don't learn, you don't improve without trying things and doing them wrong. I have plenty of examples of that. We, we've lived in a house with a wood stove through, uh, three winters now. And the first couple of years, my wife, she has learned so much about doing it. Like she was the one who was on top of that. And, but it wasn't easy for me to learn because since she was learning, she was kind of more in control of it. And this year she's really kind of taken a step back and let me get in there and just do it. And she shared with me what she's learned. And she's learned a lot by struggling with when it didn't work. And this year she let me, she, you know, she's shared her knowledge with me over two years, but she's let me just struggle with it and learn from it. Yeah. In the three summers that we've been here, we've had a garden every year and she's busted her butt on that. And the first year I remember her getting so frustrated because things wouldn't go right. But first of all, the level of success we attained with just trying it for the first time with some of the, the concepts we were using was ridiculous, but she learned immensely from everything that didn't go right. You learn so much from making mistakes when we're talking about stuff, uh, I mean, a lot of times we're just going to be talking about what we're enjoying, comics, movies, blah, 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 whatever, but we're going to get on to other stuff. And when we're talking about what we're trying or what we're doing or what works for us, one, it might change. And two, you know, it's, it's, it's coming from our perspective. So whatever we're sharing, like we want people to listen to it and take it as our experience, but it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. It doesn't mean you should do things like I do. Uh, and I, I feel like we've had a little too much pressure in uh not fitting into molds that other people do it's hard to fit into the group when i mean and and, you know god bless everybody for uh you know what what they're able to do and their goals are and and whatnot but like a lot of our friends in the nerdy legion like they're making plans to go to cons and and see each other and stuff like that and for you and me that's out of our scope Mm -hmm. can't afford it for one and for two, even if I could, the strain on my family isn't something that would be practical necessarily. You're in a sim- similar situation like that. Even if you had the money right there, 
doesn't necessarily mean you could just go disappear for a weekend, you know? Yeah. We're, we're just, we're in a different place and it just didn't exactly feel right for us to really express ourselves as part of this bigger whole that we weren't really feeling like a part of. That, that's what I feel. I, I don't want to speak for you, but that's kind of what I realized. It wasn't anything, anything else. It's we kind of wanted our own ambition and our own place. I think that sums it up really good right there. Cause I was thinking today, um, just how easy Martin made it and how comfortable I was just doing the same thing over and over because he has everything set up to where, you know, I edited the podcast, I put it up, but the only reason I was able to set it up today is because he taught me how to, he showed me the way to do it. And it's nice to, cause Dave and I have some ideas. He's got some friends. He's going to start some other podcasts. Um, one guy's thinking about doing a travel podcast. Another guy's going to be just kind of just like a group of buddies sitting around talking about whatever's affecting him that week kind of podcast. And, uh, I mean, we got some, uh, history related podcasts that we're thinking about, you know, doing slowly over time, like releasing only like monthly or something like that. Um, you know, that and, uh, just trying to, trying to do something outside the box, outside of the, outside of your comfort zone is invigorating. I told you earlier, you know, I was excited to do this and post the first one because, you know, it's just us doing it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I suddenly feel this, this different ambitiousness for wanting to do things that I might not have before. Um, you know, as you had mentioned, I, I had started comics in black and white as a podcast where I was doing it with different co-hosts talking about comics that were in this realm that was something that I seemed to enjoy more than anybody else. Comics that had this root in, in like kind of single creator concepts, more highly controlled, not all the time though. Um, but it just like, there was this niche that there was this, this commonality between them. And I did that for a while, but honestly life got too hard to try to maintain two podcasts and life has gotten a bit easier now, but even then it can still be a struggle to do it. So I decided, uh, and this is when Valiant Central was starting to falter. I would try to do something on my own and I would just kind of pick right up where that left off because I had finally learned how to record and at least basically edit and post my own podcast. Mm -hmm. I was always behind the curve on everybody else with that type of stuff because I was so overburdened with my life that I couldn't, I couldn't keep up. I couldn't absorb this additional stuff. And I, I don't know, you know, what people, I, everybody's going through stuff. So I'm certainly not saying, well, it was me. I had it harder, but you know, through the years we were doing the Valiant Central podcast, like, you know, all the times that people listened to me there, you know, there were times that, that, you know, my, my emotions were unhinged to an extent because of what I was going through physically and, and, uh, emotionally because of, of dietary problems and health problems. And I had a back problem and I had problems with, with, you know, my son's development with my, and just all these different things. And it was overwhelming to the point where I couldn't do more. I couldn't absorb more. I couldn't think about more. And at some point I kind of got left behind and stuff. All these other people came along and, and were able to do more than me and do their own thing. And I don't think I was ever looked at as an equal at a certain point because all I could do was get on a microphone and talk. But ultimately, you go back to it. You know, Martin and I started Valiant Central Podcast together. And I think that both of us developed our ability to talk to somebody on a microphone by grinding off of each other. Mm -hmm. 
anybody that listened could tell you that our first episodes were pretty freaking rough. But I think we got the groove going fairly quickly because we had a chemistry. We got good at talking with other people, too. Having Josh Eves on was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sean uh, Napred, you know, like, those were some of my favorite early episodes was talking to them. Uh, and it gave, like, the, I learned a lot about how to talk to people and the dynamic of it then because we we had somebody uh, that was kind of, we were engaging with in a different way. But, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of time has passed and things have changed. And that's what I'm missing in my podcasting, though. If I'm going to be doing podcasting, it's because I need to be able to uh, grate my ideas off of somebody else. Talk about what we love, but, you know, have that. Yeah, and, and you were, you're somebody that I resonate with, so I could do that with. So that's why we're doing this podcast. And, uh, yeah, you know, I mean... Even uh, like right before Christmas, right before Christmas, I was just this close. Fingers held really close together right now, by the way. This close. I just quitting podcasting because I wasn't finding the joy in it. I wasn't finding like it mattered or that my role in anything mattered to, to the people around me, with some exceptions. And I, I didn't see the points in it. I was starting to feel like it was a distraction to the bigger picture of my life rather than an addition. Then my wife gave me a freaking podcast microphone for Christmas. So I said, shit, I, I can't, I can't like get this gift that I've been, something I've been wanting literally for years that she got me and not use it. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I got to give this another try. Like maybe that, the, maybe there's a, p- a piece missing, but that's, you know, it's not just that I should stop. So I, I pressed on and, uh, yeah, I, I think that. It's funny how things come together. You keep, I, I thought and I thought and I thought I knew what was wrong. And when it came down to it, I wasn't quite right with it. But by pushing on and trying to find what was right, by making mistakes and thinking I had the right path and trying to go down that path and realizing, nope, got to adjust a little bit. I think we're getting somewhere now. Yeah. And I think that we needed to, uh, to you and I do this podcast on our own be able to make it what we want to make it. And it's not in the bigger picture of anything else. We're doing this for us. Who knows what we'll do in the future. Maybe we start trying to push audible on people. Maybe we start doing a, a, a Patreon. Um, thank you, Ed, for still being my only Patreon subscriber, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, <coughs> excuse me. I'm still struggling over get, get, being sick, but uh, you know, who, who knows where we may take this. We don't have, lofty ambitions for what we do with it we're doing it because we want to do it but i hope to uh to bring my heart back to it in a different way yeah so that's that's what i wanted to say about why we're doing this and uh i hope i got to the bottom of it i think you did one thing i observed i know when you were doing comics in black and white it felt like you put a lot of pressure on yourself to create content on a very regular basis the way one thing I've told you in the past is one thing, this is not our job. <laughs> so, and no one is our boss saying we have to put it out. Um, we try to at least put one episode out, out a month. Uh, if we could, I'd love to put out an episode a week, but it's like Dave told me the other day, he says, why don't you and Paul do this also? And I'm like, man, we can, we barely have our schedules barely sync up to where we're doing one to two episodes a month. So no, I'm not going to put that pressure on him or me to try to do anything else. We're just doing what we're doing. 
two. Uh, second thing that comes to mind is we have kind of a format, but I'm not scared to break it. You know, sometimes usually it's like you have a thing, I have a thing, you have a thing, I have a thing, you have a thing, I have a thing. There might be a night where we just talk about one thing or one episode. You know, we might just have one thing we talk about or two things. Um, and it might not always be comics. It might not always be movies, songs. It, it's just going to be whatever we feel passionate about at the time. And I feel comfortable enough with you now that it's okay to uh, just kind of go with the flow where the conversation takes us. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really ultimately, happy. Ultimately, it's about the conversation. I mean, that's that's what worked well for me with uh, the Valiant Central podcast is we based it around Valiant Comics and what was going on. But we never talked about the news and we never specifically reviewed a book. We talked about kind of what inspired us as to what we were experiencing at the time. That's what this is about, is you and I sharing what we're experiencing in our lives, not just the day-to-day lives, but, you know, what, what are we enjoying? Books, music, movies, but it's going to bleed into what we're doing in our daily lives, you know? Uh, like, today was a huge day. We, we got a new stove. We haven't had a stove that's worked properly. I mean, our stove, we got it with the house three years ago, but it's been going downhill. And uh, I, I baked something today that actually cooked properly, you know, it was amazing. I saw the I saw the pictures of that on Twitter, I'm like... The first picture is like, oh, that looks interesting. I don't know. But then the, like, by the third picture, I'm like, yeah, I'd eat that. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, who knows where stuff will take us. Sometimes we stay lighthearted. Sometimes we might drop into heavy stuff. Sometimes we're dealing with heavy stuff and we need to talk about it. And sometimes, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, let's transition. So I, I guess I rambled on about that. Welcome to new listeners. Uh, we're, we're transitioning our title slightly to just calling this podcast officially save the world because the title was too long. Uh, so we want to make it a little bit easier for people to find. So this is the Save the World podcast. Uh, formerly, Paul and Michael occasionally save the world. And what we're saving isn't the whole world. We're, we're finding our own little piece of fixing our own worlds and helping each other fix each other's world. Ultimately, it comes down to two things, being genuine and being empathetic. We're, we're genuine in our connections with uh, with each other, and we're we're empathetic to ourselves and those around us, and we want to understand the you know what we're experiencing. And the way we kind of get to that is just by talking about you know the things that we're we're enjoying in our day to day life. Um, so uh, I guess I'll kind of start us off with something that is really tickling the crap out of me lately. Uh, so we we're signing my son up for T ball. Mm-hmm. My son is, is six years old. Uh, he has developmental delays, uh, speech and language delays. So his communications are, are delayed. Um, he's come a long ways. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun and great for him getting him involved in, uh, in group activities like that. You know, we started doing karate, which is great for him learning how to follow instructions and stuff. Uh, he did soccer. Uh, he just did uh, uh, basketball. They call it bitty ball. It's just like instructional basketball for little kids, basically. And we're going to sign him up for T-ball. So we went to the store and looked at gloves with him. He did, It didn't seem to quite resonate, which none of the sports have really super resonated with him. Like, he gets excited about having fun with other kids. Yeah. But nothing has quite clicked yet, you know? But we, you know, we took him to the store. We looked at gloves. He, you know, didn't really seem that enthused, whatever. And, uh, then one day my wife goes out and she gets him his glove and brings it home and he's just enamored by it. And, uh, then I, I bring up that we should watch a movie because 
anybody with little kids, you probably know it's too sparky, but uh, kids are obsessed with YouTube nowadays. And YouTube videos are not the same as watching a movie or a cartoon or anything else. Like YouTube videos are like the biggest example of instant gratification moment to moment for you to watch for entertainment. So a little is okay, but we try to steer them away from watching too much of that. So I said, let's watch a movie. And my wife says, hey, how about The Sandlot? She knew we had it. Uh, it was actually given to me by my good friend Kyle. He loved that movie. And uh, he got it on Blu-ray when they finally released it on Blu-ray. So he gave me his DVD of it. So bust that out, put that in. Sammy is enamored by The Sandlot. Absolutely just loves The Sandlot. Uh, he loves his, his glove. He's just so excited by all of it now to see his connection with it. And he started, he was excited about his glove even before we watched the movie because we gave him a glove. We gave him, uh, two balls. Uh, they're baseball sized balls, but they're like kind of a little bit rubbery. So they're softer. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, he's just excited about it. He wanted to start like playing with it with us in the house. And so he's like making these games and stuff. And, and then we put that movie on. And uh, he goes and starts watching it, and he goes and gets his glove and has it next to him, his glove and one of the balls that we got him next to him. And he just he's just infatuated with it. And it's just so awesome to see, like, how engaged and excited and how enthusiastic he is with this. We watched it for the first time last night, and uh, I didn't even watch most of it. I don't remember what I was doing, but I, I was busy doing chores or whatever other stuff, so I didn't spend pretty much any of the movie and they're watching it with him. My wife watched a little bit more of it with him. Uh, oh, I remember what happened. I got, I got sent out to get dinner because my wife wasn't feeling well. That's what it was. So I come back and they watch most of the movie because I wanted to watch it with him. And uh, so today we get home after being out all day and I put it back on. We're sitting there watching it and he's excited about a certain scene and talking about it. And we tell him, well, you, you got to watch, you know, you got to wait for it to come up. And after a few minutes, he goes out of the room and comes back with his, his glove and his ball. And he sits there with his glove and his ball. One of the things we did going out today was actually get me a glove. So that way, when the snow clears up some, we can go out and we can, we can uh, play catch and, you know, practice a little bit better together. And so, like, now, you know, for him, daddy is a part of it, too. You know, I have a glove. So it just his enthusiasm is just amazing. And there is absolutely nothing like seeing your child have that kind of passion and enthusiasm for something. Just absolutely untouched. On top of that, I mean, I, you know, I saw The Sandlot as a kid. And I liked it. I've watched it since, uh, I don't remember if I watched it with my buddy Kyle or if I like borrowed it and watched it or whatever, but I've watched it in the kind of recent past. But even without watching the whole movie, watching some of it again today, I was like, damn, that is a really good movie. Hey. Like I can see why that still resonates with people. I haven't thought about that movie in years until you brought it up today. And thinking about it, it came out like early nineties, right? Yeah. That, that, that it is. It's got the beast, the, the big mastiff in the yard across behind the, the, the sand lot. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this brings back really fond memories of watching that. I, and I remember watching that more than many times back then over and over mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And then the thing that you're going to, you know, you're, you're building your kid up by these experiences of, you know, participating in sports and you're going to be doing things with him out and the classic Americana thing of throwing the ball, having a catch out in the yard with your, your son. That's, that's a pretty special moment that you're, you're, you're doing right there. 
Every little bit with yeah, kids, I mean, especially kids that are a little bit, I guess people would call it a little bit delayed or behind. My daughter's significantly behind other kids her age. Every little bit you push them into doing things that are kind of outside the comfort zone really does make a difference, I've learned. And, uh, you know, we make Delilah do things all the time that she doesn't want to do. And, you know, like going to the pool. She does, the first time we ever put her in a swim pool, she hated it. And now mm-hmm. in the middle of winter, she's talking about, let's go to the deep water and float in the floaty thing and do spinning and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just great because it, it helps them experience the world and uh, and just kind of push that development a little bit forward. So I, I'm, that's really yeah. good. That's really good <laughs> stuff, man. Yeah, and that's the big thing is, is uh, teaching them how to engage with the world. And, you know, I'm sure all kids are different, but it sounds like Sam and Delilah have a similarity with that where – they have trouble, you know, essentially engaging with the world. Mm-hmm. And Sam, Sam is the sweetest kid in the world and he just wants to love everybody and get along with them. And he does well, but, uh, he, you know, especially at first, like his, his ability to interact with other kids was severely missing. He didn't know how to play with other kids. Mm-hmm. Didn't even know how to play with them. And now he does. Uh, but it, you know, it's come a long way. And over the past, Essentially a year, a little less than a year or so, but we're almost to a year when we, we first signed him up for karate. And he enjoys doing the things, but he does, he's not engaged in that way that drives his, um, his desire to do well, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, karate, he would do really well at times when he had something that would engage him a little bit more, he would do better. But when he lost engagement, I mean, there was a couple of times I had to get on him and it broke my heart to do it. Yeah. Cause I would, I would, he's a very, very sympathetic kid. And when I would get on to him, like he would be brought to tears almost instantly when he realized I was displeased. And that was super hard. Um, but because he wasn't, he wasn't doing well. He wasn't trying. And it wasn't that he wasn't doing well. He wasn't trying, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's the problem is he would be out there just goofing around, not paying attention. He knew better and he wasn't trying to. And, uh, you know, he got better with it. He started to gain an understanding. And, of course, like, the difference between then and now is huge because uh, he's come just massively a long way since then to where he is now. But, you know, same thing with soccer. He would he would do better at practice than in a game. Mm-hmm. Not because a game was harder, but because practice, people were working to keep him engaged. And it was uh, – the game was trying to focus on the game and why – you know, what was engaging him with the game? Yeah. He wasn't understanding the concept. And now I think he's at the point where if we went and got out, you know, got a kid's soccer movie that, like, to you or me would be the cheesiest, dumbest thing, mm-hmm. it would make him want to do better at soccer because he would be able to engage with it in a different way. He would understand it better. Kind of the same thing with basketball. He did better with basketball. He enjoyed it more. Um, and he did his best, but it was hard to teach him some concepts because with the language delays, you can't just directly tell him this is how you do this or this is how you do that or do this or do that or whatever. Not that easy, but, uh, he, he had a lot of fun doing basketball and now he hasn't even started T-ball yet, but just, just watching this kid's movie and his level of engagement with it is drastically different than anything else has ever been. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) With, with Delilah, her thing is Delilah is, she's blind with uh, learning disabilities and and communication issues. But at the same time, she is much smarter than most people realize. 
and she knows that. And she knows that she can, she likes to take the easy way out, whether it's at school or us wanting her to do something. She will pretend for her. It's, it's, she's kind of lazy a little bit and she's a manipulator in a way and that she will try to trick us into thinking one, she can't do it or doesn't understand when she just doesn't want to do it. So we have to find ways to urge her to do the right thing. Sometimes we get upset. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's just like pushing her into with rewards of just when she finally does it with the praise, good job, well done. What a big girl. That's when she like, oh, wait, they really think I'm special because I'm doing this thing I don't want to do that makes her want to do it even more. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's Kids Kids are fun in general and special in general, but when you got kids that are a little bit, they have a little bit more difficulty doing things or learning things or, or trying to figure out what something is, I mean, she's my hero. I mean, as, as mad and frustrated as, I can, as we, my wife and I can get at her sometimes, she, um, she's like, you know, daredevil. She's my daredevil. She's blind and she is fearless. She wants to, her swing set broke. I have to build her a new swing set. She wants to get out on that swing set and just swing as high and she scares me to death. And I have to get <laughs> out there. I'm like, girl, you don't realize how high you are. If something were to happen with the chain, or you were to slip, but she never has had an accident. And, uh, you know, we, I don't want to be overprotective of her because I want her to experience everything. But they say that with kids like her situation, that they're normally more closed in and don't want to try things. There are things she doesn't want to try, but once she enjoys something like that, man, she goes crazy. So we actually have to pay really close attention because she, she will go nuts. So daddy has to, daddy, she's been telling me for the last week every day and I'm going to do it hopefully in the next week or two. Daddy's got to build a swing set because I'm going to make her a really sturdy, strong one that, uh, that for her size, that's going to be good. Can withstand her power. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's my daredevil. Yeah. You know, with Sammy, it's uh, I, he's, he's not necessarily a daredevil, but the thing that astounds me with him is, uh, his, his creativity can go off the charts. Uh, his, his mom's a, an artist, like she's naturally, uh, very artistic. And then of course has also put the effort into it. So, um, you know, those are, are two pieces that, that are required to really, you know, flourish with creativity. And so he has, uh, like, I've always wanted to be creative and I've worked hard in the past to try to be able to do the, the functions of being artistic. Um, and for a while I, man, I could draw real good. But it was, uh, I was, I never had the creativity to create something and that was always what I wanted. So eventually I was like, I'm not getting that. So I don't just want to be able to draw well. I want to be able to be creative and I'm not getting it here. Yeah. And, uh, but it, you know, my wife Amanda has that and she's, uh, just astounding. Uh, but Sam, he will, he will take the seeds of something and then do so much with it, have so much creativity and, uh, you know, he, you know, like I mentioned YouTube earlier, you know, he still gets, you know, he can sit and watch YouTube videos all day if you let him, because that's like crack for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
he will like one of the things he'll do is he'll come home he'll watch some youtube videos about minecraft and watch them like building something or something then he'll go hop on the game i have never once showed him how to play that damn game other than how to walk around that's all i've ever showed him he'll go jump on the game and he'll build just this crazy stuff absolutely crazy uh so we, like not only do we see him building it but then he's also uh mimicking the way the the people making the youtube videos are you know because they're putting on a show they're they're talking about it and they're being a little bit outlandish and they're showing you what's going on and all this stuff so he's in there like putting on his own youtube show on his head and on top of that he wants to start recording it and putting it on youtube so he can watch really? his own youtube shows yeah that's awesome. it's just um uh, i mean that's just one thing but he does it with legos we went and took him to see the lego movie too and he came home and starts creating his own things to play the movie and uh he drew, so one night it's time to go to bed and he wants to do something with paper. He does all these different things with paper. And sometimes you see what he does and you're like, you're just wasting time. You're just screwing around. He he wants this, you know, a few different pieces of construction paper, some white paper. He starts cutting out shapes and he builds a nutcracker out of the blue. Really? Just because he wanted to right before bed. But once I saw what he was doing, I, I let him go as long as he needed to. That's awesome. Because he had purpose. He had direction. He was being creative. And, like, I'm sure he saw the process of doing it somewhere. But seeing him be able to take these pieces and apply them, as he grows older, he's going to keep on taking all these pieces. And he's going to put them together in ways that nobody else would have envisioned. Yeah, and I just I can't wait to see what he does because that kid has a, a natural knack for stuff that you know most people could never hope to attain. Yeah, see that's what I was talking about. You know, kids that are a little bit what's the term delayed in certain different ways, they get put in a box, and like other kids look at like Delilah and they're like, Oh, she's different. She doesn't talk like I talk or she, she can't see. They don't understand what it means. She's blind. So they just choose not to interact with her, you know? And I don't know if it's necessarily the same way for him, but he isn't broken. He's just a little bit different in his development, but he's still brilliant. I mean, our, both our kids, from what you're saying and what I've, I'm trying to communicate to you, they both have their brilliant, brilliant things that they have about yeah. them that, you know, they don't necessarily fit the, the mold in the box, but they, they, they've got their place and they're going to find their way with the right encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. I could talk about her all day long. The, <laughs> she, the other day we've got a, she, she'll, she played a joke on me. Cause she'll every once in a while she gets stressed or if the weather's really dry, cold and dry, she'll get a nosebleed or something like that. And I freak out and you know, Oh, I got to take care of it. I've got a, we built this room in our house that have really high shelves with books. And I was in there, I was home alone with her and she was inside and in the, in the living room watching TV or listening to TV. And I'm up on this ladder trying to sort these books and get them in order. And she goes, Oh no, I got a nosebleed. So I jump off this ladder, run in there. She's fine. She's fine. And she's giggling. And she's like, she just wanted me to change the channel. And she knew I was busy doing something. And the only way to get my attention was to say she had a nosebleed. Uh, she, she cracks me up all the time. That's hilarious. <laughs> Sorry about the little bit of coughing. Anybody listened to our last episode? Uh, I was coughing a lot more then, but uh, I've... Had a hell of a time being sick this winter. Well, I, I told you that uh, earlier 
between just us that we should have changed the name to Sick and Tired Podcast because one of us is either sick or we're both tired because <laughs> I stay up way too late and get too up too early and you with your job you, you're usually up way earlier than me and to stay <laughs> up late so yep yeah tomorrow I've got a 4 30 a.m morning so we'll probably start wrapping this up pretty quickly let's let's get off the heartstrings a little bit touch on a couple of uh of comic books that we've enjoyed and then we'll call it a night let's do it so what's uh what's the comic you wanted to talk about oh gosh i was gonna talk about little bird which is a comic i had reference uh recommended by jeff lemire and uh, i'm gonna save that one no no, I'm going to save that one because I was going through some, uh, when I was kind of arranging things in the house the other day, trying to get it straightened up, I came across a comic that I think you sent me. It's an old comic from DC called Iraq or Eric. I don't know how you're supposed to, it's, the name is supposed to be Eric, but he pronounced it with an A at the beginning, uh, the character. Uh, in fact, you sent me several boxes of older comics like this that you picked up. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to read this and see what it's about. Cause one is written by Roy Thomas and it's a DC comic. Um, and you know, everybody, I mean, I'm not a comic genius by any means or an expert, but I know who Roy Thomas is. I know he's the first guy that ever replaced Stan Lee as editor at Marvel. I know he was the, the first writer for Conan, which was really big for, um, Marvel in the seventies and, uh, wrote, he's written all just about, if you look at his, his bibliography, he's written Batman, he's written X-Men, he's written all kinds of stuff. And this is a character he created. And one of the reasons I love this, and I've never heard of it before, or read it. Uh, I, it's issue number one came out in September, 1981. It's called Eric son of thunder. And here's the premise. And this is why I really got drew me in when I started looking at it is because, you know, I've been on a really big Viking kick with, uh, Brian Woods, uh, Northlanders. And I've watched these, like the last kingdom show on Netflix is about Vikings and the English and all that. So, you know, I love Native American history. I've been on this big kick of learning about early civil civilizations, um, in uh in North America before European contact. And so this kind of merges everything that I'm really into right now into one thing. And what it is, is this Viking ship is out on the sea. They get caught up in a store. They're really far West of where most Vikings even travel on a long boat. This big storm comes up, pushes them way out. And in the morning, the storm eases and there's this canoe. And in the canoe, they find this little boy who's a Native American boy. And they take him in. Uh, he stands up to one of the, the lead Viking, and they were going to kill him. And this other guy stands up to him and saves his life and says, I'm going to make him my slave. And then he, the boy doesn't speak any of the language that they speak. But over time, the guy doesn't really make him his slave. He just kind of puts him under his wing, raises him up. And eight years pass, they go on an adventure, they're raiding in Northumbria, uh, he encounters these monks, he again stands up to a Viking and kills him, he's he's never been included, they, they look at him as a complete outsider because of the color of his skin, and then the next thing you know, 
you get a sorceress with a sea dragon and all kinds of mayhem. So it brings all this kind of crazy stuff into it that uh, I wasn't expecting. Um, and it's 25 pages of content. And in that, it's, they probably had this one first comic book probably had enough for like an entire arc of what we get today in comics. I, and I just loved it. I, I loved it. Roy Thomas was really good. He's such a good writer. Um, I never really appreciated it as much when I, what little I've read of him, but he has a way with words and some of the stuff. Uh, he really, really sets the tone and the feeling for where he's at. And it's, it's kind of like he was creating his own Conan character for DC except taking a, a Native American person, sticking them over in Europe. And uh, I was thinking about collecting because you, uh, we were kind of talking about, you, you've had some things about, we've talked about, about you're like focusing on collecting new things and kind of get specializing in your collecting instead of just, just making it a, like a, instead of like, instead of just collecting like an entire comic line or entire like valiant or something you're you're specializing it and i'm like what what do i collect i went through a different i have a number of things that i'm collecting but i'm like this might be something i could easily dig up for not much because there's only 50 issues it ran from like 81 to 84 or 5 i might actually get a couple of more issues and see if this is something i might want to read the entire thing uh, and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, if you hadn't sent this to me, I wouldn't have ever known about this or enjoyed it like I did. So that's, that's my comic rec- recommendation. I don't know if anybody else has read this or remembers this, but, uh, it's, it's quite something. That's, that's super interesting, especially cause I, I had no clue what the hell you were talking about. And you said I sent it to you, but it makes sense. Cause I have had times where I've gotten mass quantities of comics for cheap. Just cause I stumble into stuff sometimes. And usually I'm like, oh man, look at all these comics. And then like five minutes later, I don't want all these. Let me find somebody to give them to. You know, I'm trying to get rid of them. Like, give me some money for shipping. I'll send them to you. So uh, <laughs> I dumped, <coughs> that's probably from a batch. I dumped a bunch off on you and Dewan and I don't remember who else. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like spread them around. Like you find stuff like that. And it's fun to, to poke around with them a little bit for me, but. Ultimately, I know that most of it I'm not going to read, and you know, there's probably some good stuff I'm missing out on, but sometimes uh, looking for that needle in a haystack isn't worth it. Just burn the haystack and, you know, go buy a new needle. But, uh, so, you know, you mentioned my collecting habits, and I, I've been trying to find my way with collecting a little bit, so you actually just inspired me to talk about that a little bit. Um, so yeah, yeah, because when you told me about it, I'm like, that's a really ingenious approach to it what you're doing and over the years so i definitely have an impulse for collecting and it could definitely be somewhat of an addiction and sometimes it could be i mean not like hugely disruptive i'm not out buying like a thousand dollar comic when i don't have enough money for groceries or anything and i've never done something that stupid uh and nor would i uh but i mean it's easy to fritter away little bits more and more and more when you don't have the money for it when you're caught up in collecting and i call that an addiction um, so I've had to backtrack a lot and, uh, a while back I had just said, you know what, we're, we're just like cold, hard changing this. And, uh, I stopped and I sold almost everything I owned, got rid of everything. I'd been collecting uncanny X-Men. I had gotten a bunch of key issues, uh, nothing crazy, crazy. Like probably the, the most expensive issue I got was, uh, the first Gambit and I got it for a good deal. 
Uh, but I, you know, I had some quantity there, gotten quite a few different things and I liked them, but I was just like, I knew I was driven by the collecting, not by enjoying what I had. And so I stopped, I backed up, I started getting rid of stuff. I kept a few things, but I mostly got rid of everything. And I just stopped collecting for a while altogether and processed it. And I slowly started, you know, I'd go with my wife to a flea market or something. And if I saw like an old uncanny issue for a buck or two, okay, like it's one thing. I'll, I'll get the one that I like, but I'm not going to grab every copy of uncanny they have for a buck or two. I'm not going to go to this other flea market where the, the asshole there overprices his comics. They're all $5 and get all the these old beat up ones that best case scenario might barely be worth $5 just because they're there, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm not going down that slippery slope again. So I slowly start dabbling again and I'm getting a little bit of uncanny and I'm talking about it with people a little bit again. And uh, I decided, you know what, maybe I'll branch out to Daredevil a little bit, but I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to go start hunting down all the Daredevil I can find because uh, I don't even know like what's my sweet spot or where do I start or anything. But you start dabbling around, you start kind of seeing what's there and then uh, we go to a flea market, and I find one copy of Marvel Comic Presents Weapon X, one of the issues in the series that tells the Weapon X story. And Barry Windsor Smith does the cover art, and I buy it for two bucks, and I take it home. But I have it sit there on my desk because I hadn't, like, really processed these comics yet, you know, and got them put away. I just keep looking at it, looking at it. I just, you know, I'm looking at it, and I just think, God damn, that is, that is a beautiful cover. I love it. I love looking at it. I haven't read this yet, but I just, I love having it even just to look at it. So I think to myself, I want to get these. I share it with our friend Dennis. Dennis actually ends up helping me out. He had a bunch of duplicates and he made me a good deal for getting some duplicates. He sent me all this daredevil stuff. And first of all, you know what? When, when you are nice and genuine and friendly to everybody and you share with other people indiscriminately and you do stuff like that. I don't know why, but this happens sometimes where people like stuff just like it blows you away. What people will do for you out of the blue. Dennis made me a great deal and got me all these comics. I get all these comics from somebody else. I stumbled across his other stuff. Next thing I know, I've probably had like a hundred comics fall in my lap for compared to their value. Nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on top of the fact, I don't know, it's just, it's ridiculous how stuff works sometimes. But so now what I have is I have uh, a short box that's filling up pretty quickly with Uncanny X-Men that I put together little by little, you know, a buck here and there, two bucks here and there, some stuff like that. A couple little eBay purchases. I might have been a little bit foolish once. Um, got some Daredevil building up. And I thought, you know, what else would I like? Like, one thing I've realized... And I finally realized this and, you know, admitted that I can be honest with myself about this and I don't have to try to admit a quality that's there that I just don't care about. I don't care about DC very much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll read some DC stuff and it's not like I am like, no, I'm Marvel. I hate DC. I just, I don't feel the same way about it, you know? Right, right. So uh, I've read tons of Batman. I don't want to collect Batman. You know, I, I don't want to collect anything DC in particular until something, yeah, I mean, maybe someday something will hit me. But uh, I, I just don't want to. But with Marvel, you know what? I, I got some Uncanny X-Men. I got some Daredevil. I got a little bit of Amazing Spider-Man because I realized I really like looking at the covers of Amazing Spider-Man issues. And uh, I started, you know, once I started getting those uh, interested in those Weapon X Marvel Comic Presents, I, was, I saw a bunch of other ones at my comic shop 
uh, that were uh, a buck an issue, but he was having a 31% off sale because it was his 31st birthday. Hmm. So I grabbed all the Marvel Comic Presents he had in his dollar boxes for 69 cents each. I was looking at all of these, and I was like, these all just look awesome. You know, I can just leaf through these, and I feel good doing it. Like, it's pleasurable, you know? So that's sort of how I'm collecting now. I... I'm a huge Ninja Turtle fan. I'm not collecting Ninja Turtle. I'm getting the hardcovers as they come out. And I'm going to start getting the newer issues digitally instead of physically. Because I don't care about having a physical copy of them. I broke my collection and it's never going back. Uh-huh. Uh, I I don't care. You know, I had, uh, when you got me reading Sword Daughter, I went back and I bought the first couple of issues on eBay. So I could start getting the physical copies and uh, and have them all physically. And I kind of regret that now because I just want to read it. I don't really want to own the run mm-hmm. of physical copies of, of, of sword girl or sword daughter. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and that's what I'm kind of realizing is, you know, you can say things, of course, like, you know, buying, you know, uh, pre-ordering comics is what, what drives the success, of the comic and stuff like that. And blah, blah, blah. Ultimately, it's not right for me, and I don't have to do anything to make somebody else successful. Uh, I I don't whatever I don't owe it to anybody, and there's there's going to be people there that create that kind of a structure. You know, if I buy the comic digitally, it's still supporting the person. If I wait and buy a trade, it's still supporting the person. I can't support a creator in the way that somebody else thinks is best, just because that's like the most idealistic way to do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I have to do what's, uh, what's right for me and also what's going to be more enjoyable for me. Yeah. yeah. I've seen people shift around and change their ideals. And that's great. Like, you know, as I said earlier, you can think that something's the right path and try it for a little while and realize it's not quite right and change. You should be able to. And just because you change, you shouldn't have people questioning. Well, I thought you said blah, blah, blah. You know, no, People have to be able to shift and change and adjust. But I've had people, you know, hammer on me for not doing this this way. And then they shift. And then they hammer on me for not doing it this way and they shift. And that's a lack of empathy. It's a lack of understanding what somebody else is experiencing or what they're going through. So, you know, I've, I finally realized all that noise doesn't matter. I don't need any of that noise. I don't care what anybody else thinks is best or right or anything. Yeah, I'll do what feels right to me that gives me the enjoyment of the hobby, and for me, that that's how I'm collecting comics. <coughs> well, yeah, because uh, circumstances and the way we look at things change over time. I mean, I'm not going about certain habits of purchasing comics that I had like three years ago at all. I've I've, I've made up a list the other day of what I'm definitely following. Like I'm reading a lot more digitally, a lot more. I'm just getting, uh, I'm reading that's just borrowed from Comixology Unlimited because I see the value in that. I don't have to go out and actually buy the books. Um, there might be some books like uh, uh, Northlanders that I might someday try to find a good deal on just to have because I really did love that so much, but I don't have to go out and do it right now. I'll, I'll shop yeah. around and try to find a good deal. Um, and I do have so, certain things that I'm, I'm grabbing in the physical form because I still appreciate that level. So I'm not hundred percent digital, hundred percent this. I'm not going to, I don't have a, I don't have a rule as to what I'm going to do. 
Um, do you want to briefly mention though, are you still pursuing the, uh, baseball card thing associated with the boys of summer? But, uh, yeah. So, uh, kind of bridging into something else. I've been reading the book, uh, the boys of summer about the Brooklyn Dodgers, like Jackie Robinson era. And, uh, as I'm reading the book, like I'm just realizing, like these these players that are that they're talking about. Like first, it's the the writer kind of I mean, it's his experiences with them, so he's showing a lot more of their character. Do you get to the certain point in the book where he's older and he's kind of reminiscing back and he's going and meeting with these different players, and they're you know they're they're past their playing days and he's talking to them, and you know I mean some of these guys are just like such um, sympathetic characters. You know, they're, they're, they mean more than just, uh, an athlete in ways. Uh, and there's just, I don't know, there's just something about them. So I just got thinking like, man, you know, it'd be kind of cool to have baseball cards for these guys. So I started poking around eBay a little bit and looking and seeing what stuff costs. And, uh, the first player, um, uh, I decided to do this on is actually the second player because the first player I was just starting to get the idea a little bit and I poked around eBay a little bit. And then when I decided, you know, I'm going to do this, I was reading the section that was about Breacher Row. Uh, pitcher for the Dodgers, and uh, he one of the pitches he uses a, 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 a spitball, which is illegal. Um, but uh, I don't know, just like reading his section of it. So I go on. I end up finding a preacher row card shipped for about four bucks. So I go ahead and I buy it on eBay, and I got it the other day. You know what? Just having that and looking at that, and it, it brings me back and ties me into the just. <coughs> Just, re- you know, reading him and I- I experiencing his viewpoints and, and stuff. And, um, you know, that's where collecting, you know, it's easy to get lost in collecting about completionism or about value. And, you know, me buying that baseball card, it's not because I'm idolizing Preacher Row. It's not because I'm trying to collect a valuable baseball card. It's not because I'm trying to collect every Brooklyn Dodgers card. Or the whole set of, you know, whatever card set that came from or anything. It's because that represents something that I experienced that even just possessing it and looking at it brings some positive into, into that moment for me. Yeah. I guess that's kind of like ultimately what drives collecting for me right now. Everybody's going to be different. I certainly don't expect anybody to you know, to suddenly change their habits by that or whatnot. But for me, that that's what collect that that's where collecting may or may not matter. <clears throat> and you know, for me, collecting otherwise isn't something I'm gonna gonna pursue. Right. So I really liked it when you brought that up because it, it, it's you know everything we talk about might not be very popular people might not understand why we do it but it's always going to be some kind of usually something personal about it for us and i was when you're talking about that you read this book you had a connection to the book you wanted to further that connection to the book by finding this entire team's cards i started thinking about you know like for example i was a huge basketball fan and still am but when i was young especially you know I was a big fan of the Dallas Mavericks. They were never successful, except for they came really close one year to making it to the finals in the 80s. I mean, I'm not talking about the Dirk Nowitzki years when they did get to the finals and win, but like when they had Mark Aguirre, Derek Harper, Rolando Blackman, and those guys, those were my heroes when I was a little kid. 
And uh, I'm like, that's, that's to me, instead of buying an entire league's worth of cars and collecting that entire year's worth of cars for, for that basketball team, for all the basketball teams, period, I could go back and just try to find that one team. And that would be very special to me as opposed to looking at a stack of like 300 cards, just having like the 20 or so cards that were on the team. I could, I could do something with that and that would mean something to me. Um, so yeah, the UE kind of inspired me to kind of look at how I've been going about things and what I do with my time and, and, and things like, cause I, I have that impulse to, to collect. I mean, I, I'm not going to get into it, but I, I kind of looked, I took a personal inventory the other day after you shared that with me. I'm like, what do I do? And I, I could go on and on about my little idiosyncrasies about things that I, I have impulsively collected over time. And I'm like, why did I do this? <laughs> Is there any real meaning in why I did this thing? Um, instead of, and making it for me more, more meaningful and rewarding when I look back at what I've got. So I've kept you long enough. I think it's, it's well after when we said we were going to end. Yeah. We, we need to wrap up. I'm going to share one last little anecdote and then we'll wrap this up. So when I moved to Maine, uh, the way I got started collecting sports cards again, cause I collected them as a kid, but they were cheap worthless cards essentially and i had a bunch of them but nothing was worth a damn thing and but it was fun as a kid and when i moved to maine i needed a hobby and uh buck 65 was at that time still uh publishing a blog on his website you know back when people use websites more than just social media to sell themselves and connect with their fan base and he posted a blog about um collecting baseball cards Mm -hmm. and he was talking about how it was for the aesthetic and it wasn't about the value of the card. And uh, it would frustrate him actually when a card that he wanted would be expensive because it, it had nothing to do with the value why he wanted it. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I took that and kind of digested it and thought, you know what? That's something that I could do is I could collect sports cards again because I did it as a kid. So I, there was one card shop in town. I started going there and. Um, you know, I had some good experiences collecting sports cards and I can share some other stories, uh, later about that. But, you know, ultimately I, I was inspired to do it by that post from buck 65, but, uh, it wasn't with the same intent. And now looking back now getting, just getting this one preacher row card and actually having it and then thinking back to that again, I understand now really like truly understand what he meant. Mm-hmm. And that's that I, you know, I decided I wanted to collect these cards and it wasn't because of, of a value. Mm-hmm. It's because of, uh, of an, uh, an like aesthetic attachment to something and something that brings a positive and getting that preacher row card and looking at it. And, you know, there, there are reprints of these cards that you can get that were done in more recent sets that would be crisper and cleaner and stuff like that. But I looked and looked and I didn't want to spend top dollar for an old, well-conditioned card. Um, but I found one of the cards from when they were originally being printed is like, a, I think it's a 1954. And, you know, of course I had to make sure he was in the Brooklyn Dodgers uniform, not another team he played for. Mm-hmm. And I also looked for the aesthetic of the image on the card. And I wanted to see represented the way he was described in the book with having these really cutting features, angular face, you know, and, 
And I looked and I found this card and I said, this is the card that I want. Yeah. I looked around at the prices and thought about, you know, what's the best way to go and realized that this card that shipped cost about four bucks. It wasn't perfect. There's a crease in it. It's, you know, it's beat up around the edges and stuff, but that that was what I wanted. So it just, to me, it was also really amazing to go back and see how this one connection with a, a musician inspired me to do one thing in my life before and now you know close to a decade later the same thing number one i truly understand what he meant and yeah. number two it's affected me in a different way that's that's a pretty awesome thing you just brought up there there's value to it but it's not necessarily value that's monetary it's, it's how you look at the value it's a value like you said it's a aesthetic value personal value what you're trying to do with it value not necessarily that it's going to be the most pristine like it's like this comic that i've i've got that you found that probably has been passed through 10 different kids hands in the 80s and they ended up in a box and you ended up somehow sending it from maine to texas <laughs> it's not in the best condition but i i have a high value for this comic because of the experience of reading it and enjoying it and I see connections from that one comic to Roy Thomas and to Conan and other things that I love. Yeah, it's it, it's, it's it's all about perspective. We we go amazing. we hit that a lot. Yeah, the, that comic, its value is either throw it in the trash or give it away. Most people would throw it in the trash. To me, I'm keeping this yeah. because it, and it means something. It's because it. it found the right home. It found the place that it resonated with somebody. And Absolutely. now that comic, and I mean that box of comics that may be the only one in there that is not better off in the trash. Yeah. You know, from, from your perspective or from my perspective, when I sent them on to you, it's just amazing. But let's call this a night and we're going to wrap this up simply. Uh, this is our first episode under our own banner and uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, I am at who's Paul. You are at MD Sparkman. And if you want to, Talk to us. Tell us what you think. Communicate about any things we've talked about. Share your own ideas. Agree, disagree, whatever. That's where you're going to find us. So tweet us on Twitter. Let us know what you think. We'll see what we may do in the future. But for now, that's what we can do. That's how we'll connect with you. And we'll see you next Goodbye. That wasn't terrible. That was pathetic. Boo.